is brought to you by Habit Aware. If you follow me on social media, you may have seen me wearing a watch with a lilac colored band. That's a keen too, and it's much more than a watch. It's a life changer. I've had trichotillomania for 22 years, and I always thought of myself as a conscious puller. But when I started wearing the keen too, I realized that was not the case. The keen too's motion sensing technology gives my wrist a gentle vibration or hug every time my hand reaches for my hair, bringing me to awareness so that I can make a different choice. Start bringing awareness into your life by going to barbaralally.com slash habit aware. Hello. <laughs> so I have had trichotillomania since I was 14 and now I'm 37. So about 22 years, except I was able to stop pulling my hair about two years ago. Um, and I had a couple of relapses in there, but I would consider myself pretty much recovered for the last two years. So yeah, I struggled with trichotillomania for most of my life. And I would say it's pretty much been a constant, like just this ever present thing on my mind all of my life since I've had it. And it's really shaped a lot of my life. While you were growing up with Trick, did you pull from any other areas besides your scalp? Nope. I just just pulling from my scalp, throwing it on the floor, and my mom would say, you know, oh, gross, what are you doing? Go clean that up. And that, yeah, and I pretty much stuck to just pulling out hair on my head. And it, it definitely got to a point where it was significant <laughs> um I would say probably I can't remember all the details it's been many many years but there were periods where there were bald patches and I wasn't sure how to cover them up and I actually naturally have really really thick curly hair and I pulled out so much of my hair that my hair got really thin and straight for a really long time and at one point, it just got so thin, and there were so many bald patches, and it was just so overwhelming how much hair I was pulling every day, constantly, that I just decided to shave my head. And it was actually about six months before my wedding, I shaved my head, and I said, I just do not want to go to my wedding feeling the way that I feel and so six months before I shaved my head and I got a human hair wig for the first time and I had heard about it I thought maybe this would work for me um, I was really optimistic and I actually I, I loved it at first it was it was just such a relief to not have not have to worry about so many things that we worry about but over time, I actually noticed that I was pulling out the hair in the wig. So 
that wasn't really working. <laughs> that was actually really disappointing because those wigs, they cost like $1,000 per wig. And when you're pulling out that hair, it doesn't grow back. So I realized that that wasn't really going to be a sustainable solution either, which was extremely disappointing. And at that point, I was kind of in a tough spot because the wig wasn't going to work out and I had already shaved my head. So I was like, all right, well, what do I do now? And that's when I just sort of embraced, well, I guess I'm going to go bald for a little while and that's just what I'm going to have to do. And so I told everybody that I shaved my head and uh, everyone told me, oh my gosh, like you're so brave and you know, that's so cool. I could never do that. Oh, my head just is a funny shape. I could never do that. You're so brave. And those comments actually made me feel so much worse. Like, so terrible. <laughs> because I didn't really choose it. It, it. it, like, I chose to wear a wig. And when that didn't work out, I just didn't have hair left. And so, you know, I never thought, oh, my, I just have a lovely shaped head, so I'm going to shave my head. Like, that is not where this came from, you know? I felt like I had no choice, ultimately. And so that was a really, like, sort of dark time, I felt like, in my life, where I just really felt really bad about how I looked. I just did not, I did not like the look. I actually love having hair. I love you know, despite trichotillomania pulling it out, like, I just enjoy having shoulder length hair to have like hair on my face or just to like have hair to put up in a ponytail, like to not feel like my head is cold all of the time. You know, I actually just like to have hair. <laughs> and so the I probably went, it took maybe about two years for my hair to start growing back in. And when it did, it was definitely this like awkward phase where I didn't know what to do with my face or my head and my hair. And yeah, it was a really awkward time. But I missed my hair so much, even the little that I had, that I made the decision to just go back to my own natural hair. <laughs> For many people in the BFRB community, having romantic relationships can be hard or sometimes even avoided completely because they are scared to show someone their missing hair, eyelashes, eyebrows, scabs. Did you have a clear memory of the moment you told your husband? That's actually a really good question because I met, well, I'm divorced now, but I was married for about seven years. And when I met my husband, I was I, I was still pulling my hair out, but sometime around when I met him, and I met him in 2011, and I don't really know at what point things shifted, but I actually stopped pulling my hair out around the time I met him, and I'm not even sure I was aware of it at the time. It was the only six-month period in my life where I stopped pulling even though I didn't do it intentionally and there was no sort of like intervention necessarily it just sort of spontaneous remission for six months was about when I met him 
And I have a lot of theories about that. But for the first six months that we were dating, I wasn't pulling my hair out. And I kind of was like, I was kind of relieved. I thought, oh, well, I guess I'm going to get out of that one. I don't have to tell him about this at all. <laughs> but about six months in, we had started to spend more time in each other's houses. And I was actually working remotely at the time. And he had like a three bedroom house. And so he, you know, helped me turn in turn one of the bedrooms into an office for me and so he set up an office so that I could work from his house during the day which was really really nice of him and slowly day by day I don't really know how it happened but I started pulling my hair out again and I was pulling out hair and leaving it on his bedroom floor <laughs> in the in the office and I was petrified I was like oh my gosh he's gonna he's gonna find out now how am I gonna tell him about this and I was I was really nervous about it I I was super embarrassed I was like oh my god what is he gonna think he's gonna think I'm super gross he's not gonna want to date me anymore like this is really go going terribly and so I came to him and I said, there's something I have to tell you. Uh, I pull my hair out compulsively. And I, I still remember what he said to me now. He said, well, duh, I've noticed. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, it's kind of a big deal. And he's like, no, it's just hair. It's no big deal. Like, it's fine like no big deal and part of me feels really relieved by that like I really felt like oh I can be myself with him I don't have to hide anything from him and that was really nice and I, I will always um admire that about him um the way that he like really let me be me but it also felt very isolating at the same time because he didn't really think it was a big deal and to me, it was like this huge deal. And every time I would come to him and say, oh, I'm really upset about this, or I just don't know what to do, he'd be like, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. And the minimizing, I think, just made me feel really alone. Even though I felt extremely accepted by him, I was dealing with something on my own that he was not able to really work through with me, understandably. And another really interesting thing that he told me, and I, this is probably why he didn't think it was a big deal or he didn't think too much of it, um, is because he normalized it. He said, oh, my last girlfriend did the same thing. And I said, oh, really? He was like, oh, yeah, she would be in the bathroom for hours, and I would just knock. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. So it seems like all the women that he had known had done the same thing. And so he just figured, oh, this just must be what women do. <laughs> That's so interesting. It almost makes me think like, hey, can I meet her? <laughs> I did meet her. <laughs> I think we did talk about it a little bit, but I that was so long ago. Gosh, I was... How old was I then? That was 2011. That was 12 years ago. So yeah, I was still in my 20s. And I think in my 20s, I was still not sure how I felt about talking about it with other people. 
So I might have still been pretty secretive, you know, oh, okay, well, maybe she does the same thing, but maybe it's slightly different. Or maybe she does it, but she doesn't want to talk about it either. And so there are a lot of people actually in my life in my 20s where I suspected that they may also have trichotillomania, but it seemed like they didn't want to talk about it. And so I didn't bring it up. Did you have anyone in your life that you could go to for support? If they had tricked to, or even if they didn't? Honestly, no. So my husband was really supportive while we were together. And my mom was really supportive. But again, they didn't have it. And so they didn't really understand. So there was definitely this like lack of connection, like just, just to just to disconnect a little bit. And so I didn't really want to talk to them about it. There was nobody that I felt like, oh, if I'm just really struggling, I know I can go to this person and they'll just like listen and let me talk about it and like truly understand me. There was nobody until I moved to San Francisco and I found a group therapy with a therapist who also had trichotillomania. And so she opened this group group therapy for for us, and there was me and three other women, and we all had trichotillomania, and we met every week for a year to talk. And that was the first time where I really felt like I had people who really understood. And that's where I started to not feel weird (laughs) like okay they do these other weird things too it must not be that weird uh I still thought that it was really rare because you know there was only three other women in this group and it didn't seem like there was a lot of other interest in the group and I wasn't really meeting other people out in the wild uh who had trichotillomania but I did start to feel Like I had people to talk to every week who really understood me. But it did sort of end at that group therapy because we weren't encouraged to really communicate with each other outside of that setting. So it was very limited. And if I had an issue, I sort of had to wait until our session to really bring it up. And then some days you go and other things come up and you don't really get to talk about what's really on your mind, you know, because there's other people there or maybe something else came up. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't until then that I really started to feel like I had people that understood. And that was sort of a step on the journey, but where I really felt like I finally had someone to talk to was when I found people in my real life day to day who were going through the same things and that only happened when I started to tell people what was going on in my inner world and open up to them and be vulnerable and sort of risk that whole "Eh, they might think this is really weird but I'm gonna tell them anyways that's when I really started to find people who really understood and it started with it actually started with one of the girls in my group therapy, when our group therapy ended, we decided to remain friends. And so I did remain friends with her 
and, and and then later over the next couple of years I started to meet other people in real life I went to the BFRB annual conference in, in 2017 or 2018 whichever one that was when when they had the conference in San Francisco and that's when I met a ton of women uh, who also had BFRBs and some of them lived in San Francisco too and so I befriended them and that was just incredible being able to really connect with them in in person and we did stay connected a little bit after that as well um and then from there I started to get really kind of ballsy and I started to just tell new friends and it actually was easier to tell new friends rather than old friends because it did feel like there was a little bit of like secrecy and with old friends whereas if I hadn't really told them already it might be weird to tell them now oh hey there's this big secret that I've been keeping from you for years and I don't really know how to come out and tell you about it so it actually was much easier to tell new friends so every time I made this promise to myself that I just wouldn't keep it a secret anymore from anyone new that I met and so I would meet a new friend and it, it wasn't like a, hi, good to meet you. I have trichotillomania, but it was a little bit more of like, a, okay, we've gotten to know each other a little bit. And then I might share something that I'm going through. And I, I remember one particular conversation I had with a friend a year or two ago. I don't remember exactly how it came up, but I, I, I kind of told her, oh, well, yeah, I do that or this is happening because oh yeah I pull my hair out no big deal I just pull my hair out <laughs> and she was like really wait I do the same thing and we just had this laugh over it we were just like oh my god that's so silly why did it take us six months to figure that out you know because neither of us really wanted to talk about it and so at that point it really felt like, oh, there's plenty of people to talk to about this. If I tell more people, I will just keep finding more people who understand and share in the same struggles. Black Friday is quickly approaching, which means it is the perfect time to take the next step in your healing journey. You've heard me talk about the Keen too, and how bringing awareness to my BFRB has improved my life. It can improve yours or someone you loves too. Take 20% off your order using the code BARBARAFRIEND when you go to barbaralally.com slash habitaware. That is code BARBARAFRIEND when you go to barbaralally.com slash habitaware. The statistic is 1 in 20 people have a BFRB, but it has to be closer to 1 in 4 because there are so many people. Oh my gosh, totally. When I came out on Instagram and Facebook a couple of months ago and told everyone in my world that I've been struggling with trichotillomania my whole life. It was absolutely incredible how many people that I knew and many of which I considered friends who messaged me and said, oh my gosh, I do the same thing or I used to do the same thing. And some of them even said they didn't even know that it had a name. And that I was able to like put a name to something that they they did. And it really 
that really just, I don't know, kind of blew my mind how many people in my life um, and family members, you know, I had family members who I've known my entire life who were like, oh yeah, I know that too. Yeah, I didn't really know that you were doing that. And I'm like, really? I thought everybody in the family knew. <laughs> why, why did you wait 20 years to tell me? <laughs> Yeah, I think the statistic is one in 20, but I really wouldn't be surprised if that's underreported and it's it's much higher than that because everywhere I go now, it's, I would say one in, yeah, I would say one in two or like one in four people that I talk to not necessarily have trichotillomania, but they have some sort of BFRB in some way, shape or form. When did you find out the name for Trick? Oh my God, really early. I'm like a very studious kind of person. (laughs) So I know that it started around when I was 14 and I'm not exactly sure when, when I found out the name, but I, my earliest memory of really understanding what it was, was probably when I was 17 because I was actually, this is when I was 17 we still had newspapers. <laughs> and so I was looking through the News and Observer in Raleigh, North Carolina. And we have a lot of research universities around here, Duke, UNC. So I thought, well, maybe there's something in the newspaper about this. I don't know why I got that idea. So I started searching the newspaper and I saw that Duke University was actually having a clinical trial come up and they were looking for people who pull their hair for the research. And I said, oh my God, that's me. And they said it was a trichotillomania study. And so I called up the research study and I said, oh my God, that's me. I have this hair pulling condition. Enroll me in the study right now. I need this to stop. (laughs) And... They said, well, how old are you? And I said, 17. And they said, oh, well, you need to be 18 to enroll in the study. And I said, oh, well, I turn 18 in a couple weeks on November 2nd. So can I can I get in then? Is that too late? And they said, oh, okay. well, if you turn 18, then why don't you come down on your birthday? And yeah, I drove down to get my blood drawn and take surveys on my 18th birthday. You mentioned that you have been in recovery for two years, but there have been some relapses. How did you recover from them while also remaining positive? That took a lot of mindset shifting. I've been in recovery since December of 2021. So yeah, almost almost two years. And in December, I thought that it was impossible to stop pulling my hair. Because it was something that I had done every day, almost all day, for most of my life. Except for this little six-month window where I had no idea how it happened. I mean, I just did not know. And so I figured, this is just out of my control. It may disappear one day. It may never disappear. And I was really hopeless. And I I really want to emphasize how important remaining hopeful and optimistic really is on this journey because when I was hopeless, I was not making progress. When I saw that someone else had also stopped pulling their hair and was in recovery and doing well and I could see how they did it, I 
felt so inspired and so hopeful. And, you know, I worked with a really amazing therapist and that's how I was able to stop, like to break the cycle essentially. And when that happened, I viewed that as, I mean, it seemed like the impossible had happened. And so when you see the impossible be possible, it really starts to shift some things in your brain a little bit. And so I thought, oh, wow, okay, that's pretty amazing. Let's stick with that. I was, I did have, so I had my first relapse was, I don't know, maybe six months after that. So I went from pulling every day, all day to zero urges for a full six months, just gone. And when I did have a relapse the first time, I thought, oh my gosh, it didn't work. I'm a failure. I'm just going to be back to this again. And I just refused to believe that. Like, those were the thoughts that I was having, but there was a part of me that just didn't believe it either. And I and I refused to believe it. And I actually went back to my therapist, and that actually took a lot of courage to go back to my therapist. And this is something I don't think a lot of people talk about, because when you have a relapse, it doesn't mean that you failed. It just means you have a little bit more work to do. But the treatment worked, and maybe you need to go back to that treatment and try it again because it worked the first time. <laughs> and so I was hesitant to reach out to my therapist again because there was this feeling of shame. Like I had disappointed her. She had worked so hard with me and now I was relapsed and it must be my fault. But when I reached out, she was super encouraging and she just said, oh, you've stopped before. We can do this again. Let's get back on the horse. And we had another session and immediately my urges were gone and then I was in recovery again for another nine months or so and then at that point I had another relapse and again I was really hesitant I was like darn it <laughs> I thought I had this under control and I it took me a little bit longer to go back this time but I did and then I had the same recovery again and so after doing that twice, when I had an, my my third relapse, which was, I don't know, maybe another nine, nine months ago now, I felt really differently about it. I felt I have stopped now three times basically on command just by working through some of the stuff going on in my life. And... I remained very optimistic and empowered that I can do it again. And I knew that it would be challenging, but I I just really committed to it. I committed and I I I said, "Okay, so I've relapsed again and I let myself have a little bit of a pity party for a week or two." <laughs> and I was just like, "Uh, oh, life is just too crazy. I can't focus on this right now. I'm just going to let myself pull." And I did. And I think I shift my mindset from I need to stop again to I'm going to let myself do whatever it is that I need to do, but how I know I can find relief again is by going back to what worked before. And what worked before for me was 
sitting down and I had, I had taken a lot of copious notes after my therapy sessions. So I knew exactly what my issues were. And so I would sit down at night and I would get really comfortable and feel really safe. And I would start to journal and go back to all of the issues that had come up in therapy and get really honest with myself about how those things were really showing up in my life right now. So for example, a thing that came up a lot during therapy was, oh, we make up a lot of stories that we tell ourselves about what might be happening that make us sort of not feel good. And so I said, okay, well, what stories am I telling myself right now that aren't making me feel good? And I would write those out and journal them out and and I would get really clear on that. And I would move to the next thing, the next thing. And then I would yeah and then I would sort of do a little meditation and get really give myself some compassion and um, and that's how I stopped I did not stop by bullying myself I stopped by giving myself a lot of compassion and introspection when you did get the urges to pull what are some of the things you did instead of pulling did your hands ever get that really busy feeling so you felt like you had to, you know, keep them busy by using a fidget or a craft? If I do have urges, I don't try to fight them because it makes me, I never liked fidget toys. I am a big fidgeter and like, I mean, I, I don't pull my hair out anymore, but I do fidget a lot. I still tap my toes and, you know, clean my fingernails and things and, and I, I still do those things, but I don't try to stop myself from any particular urge necessarily I don't get any urges to pull my hair out and if I do I don't try to stop them because in the past when I have tried to stop an urge I get very overwhelmed it feels it feels impossible to control an urge that's already there so for me getting to the root cause of why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling or why this urge is coming up in the first place, that's going to be much more effective than trying to distract myself or fidget with something. I mean, I before I even shaved my head or wore a wig or did any of this other stuff, like I, I tried the whole putting Band-Aids on your fingernails and, you know, I tried wearing, I, I wore hats for most of my life I wore hats all through high school I did all those things but none of those things helped at all I mean I would put the band-aid on and then I would get an urge and so I would tear the band-aid off and it honestly just made me more frustrated and angry and guilty and shameful because then I just felt like oh, wow I lack so much willpower I can't even stop myself if I'm wearing a hat or wearing a band-aid so it actually made me feel worse about myself. So I don't try to stop at all. Your career is dedicating your life to helping people with BFRBs. Tell me how you got there. Mm. You know, this has been something that has been so key to my life for so long. And I never really, I never really thought that this would turn into a career for me at all. You know, I've had a lot of other careers. I, I worked at Airbnb for most of my 20s and early 30s. And after that, I, I went back and I really got interested in mental health. But mental health from 
from a nutrition perspective, actually, because I had a lot of other health issues. Trichotillomania was not the only thing. And, you know, I had struggled with depression, anxiety, weight gain, you know, a lot of different things. And so nutrition and functional medicine had really helped me during some of those dark times. And so I was really inspired to go back to school and get a degree in nutrition, functional medicine, which really opened me up to this whole world of let's get to the root cause of everything that is a dysfunction in our life and in our bodies. And so, you know, I had actually been trying to figure out like, well, how can I really help people with this? You know, what I I was sort of lost, to be honest, like I just, I graduated and I just was like, you know, I really don't know what to do because I actually wrote my thesis in grad school on the use of N-acetylcysteine in treating body-focused repetitive behaviors. And I thought, okay, I'm going to write this and we're going to get to the root of it. And I was, again, very hopeful that that was the solution. And when I graduated and that wasn't the solution, I mean, N-acetylcysteine can be very effective for about 50% of people. But again, I was in that 50% where it was not effective. And so I was sort of lost and like not really sure what to do with my career, to be honest. And, but I was still really interested in pursuing my own healing with BFRBs. And I actually prioritized my own healing over my career. So it wasn't until I actually was able to heal myself with help and get to this place where I had this light bulb moment and I just thought, wait a minute, So now that I'm healed, like, what do I do? And I thought, oh my gosh, I have to help. I just have to help other people because this is, I've, without even knowing it, I had dedicated most of my life to figuring this out. And so it felt almost silly and selfish to say, okay, well, now that I know what to do, I'm just going to go back to doing what I was doing. No, that was silly. I, I, I knew that it was sort of my calling. I had to help. And honestly, I did not know how. And maybe I still don't know exactly how, but I know that it's my calling and I know that I'll always be working with these people, you know, with other people who are struggling with trichotillomania and other BFRBs. Like, that's where I'm at. That's where I'll be. Find me here. (laughs) So you can find me at bfrbrecovery.com. And for now, I have a private membership community for women struggling with BFRBs. We are doing weekly healing huddles, I like to call them. And so if anybody is interested in that, they can definitely go to BFRBrecovery.com and join there. You can also just find me on Instagram at Carly Busby. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Trick Talks. Did you know that I offer a Trichotillomania online course? My course is called Sharing Our Stories, and in it, we do a deep dive into your relationship with trichotillomania. We use my guided journal, My Trickster Diaries, as our workbook. We also complete empowering activities and have a bi-weekly support group so that you can meet others in the community. As a gift to you, please use promo code TRICKTALKS25 to receive 25% off the five-session package. You can access this promotion at barbaralally.com.
Thank mm-hmm. you.